Well, good morning, Eastview. How's everyone doing? Good, good. It's good to be back. Um, last week, I was tuning in, and you uh, had an amazing pastor from Texas speak, and uh, I thought to myself, that's Santa. That is literally Santa. And then like three minutes in, he showed a picture of him as Cowboy Santa, and I was like, I love this. I love this. Uh, behold, you know what the word literally means? Don't miss it. That's like what the word means, behold. Sometimes we think of it as like, oh, just hold on to this. But the idea in the original language was do not miss it. And if we're honest, do you ever just feel like you get to December 26 and you reflect and you're like, oh, I missed it. I missed it. It all starts usually on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We kind of go out, we, we hang with some friends. Thursday, we wake up, we start making some turkey and stuffing. We watch football, we, we eat too much, we sleep, and then it's Black Friday and all the gratitude turns into um, swearing and fighting in a Walmart parking lot. And then Saturday, we watched Michigan beat Ohio State. It's happened three years in a row. God is good. Sunday, we come back to church. We're feeling grateful. Advent kicks off. Then we got Monday. It's Cyber Monday. And so we're looking for all the deals on Amazon because they need our money. And they've got the one-click buy button. And you're like, I don't even need a lawn gnome, but you have a whole bunch of them. And, and then it's Tuesday, and it's Giving Tuesday. And we've already maxed out our credit card, spent everything that we have. And they're like, if there's any more, give. And you're like, there is no more. Thank you for emailing me every single day to remind me. And then from Wednesday on, it's Christmas parties. And we got all of this stuff. And if you're like me, you, you come from a divorced family and you married someone who also comes from a divorced family. And Christmas is like trying to show up at every house possible, get gifts for every person possible, wrap as many gifts as humanly possible. And all of a sudden the presence that we're wrapping and we miss the presence of God. And I remember I was 27 years old and I had just gone through a run of like so many Christmas Eve services. And I found myself getting to the 26th of December, and I found myself going, thank you, Lord, it's over. <laughs> and it was like almost as if God was like, really? And I, I, I just had gone and gone and worked and tried to make everybody happy, and I missed it. And that's why I think this message of behold is so important because it's so easy in our culture to actually miss the beauty and mystery of the grand event of Christmas. We're walking through the story of John and you know that there's a man by the name of John the Baptist. That's a great name. Some people call him J to the B. Not really, I just do. Uh, but John the Baptist, I mean, if you, if you know this guy, he, he wore camel hair which just sounds very uncomfortable. Clothes made out of camel hair. He ate locusts that was dipped in honey. Uh, he would be unlike any rabbi because this rabbi wasn't at the temple. He didn't have a school 
right down the street from the temple. This guy was out in the wild. It would be as if he was at Starved Rock. An hour from here, the state park, and there's just a random guy in clothes made out of camel, eating grasshoppers dipped in honey, and preaching about repentance. And religious leaders were like, you're doing it the wrong way. And so they went out to him. And they had to like ask themselves, because there was a whole generation and a whole culture of people who were longing for the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah to come. And so we see in John chapter one, verse 20, John the Baptist declaring once and for all, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that you've been hoping for, waiting for, anticipating, expecting. I am not him. And then they reply, well, who are you? Who are you then? Are you Elijah? John says, no, I'm not. Are you a prophet? No. And, and he's answering their questions, but he's not giving them the answer that they want. And so they say to him once more, John, who are you? Tell us, who are you? Look what it actually says in John chapter one. It says, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? There's another rabbinic story that I love. There was a rabbi 1,500 years ago. He's walking home and he had gone to the grocery store and he's got two bags of groceries and he's walking and he's saying a great Hebrew prayer. It's known as the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your body, with all your soul. Or in Hebrew, Shema Re'el, Adonai El-Hinu, Adonai Echad. And he's just saying this over and over and over and over. And it's, it's pretty kind of foggy, a little bit rainy. And he's reflecting on it as he walks this dirt road. And when it comes to a path, instead of taking it towards the right to go home, he just is so caught up meditating on the Shema. Shema He ends up veering to the left and he finds himself in enemy territory. And as he's walking, he finds himself in a Roman kind of barracks where all of a sudden there's this massive security wall and a Roman soldier screams out, who are you and why are you here? And the rabbi realizes, oh, I am far from home. And so the rabbi looks up at the man and the man screams at him, who are you and why are you here? And so the rabbi puts down the groceries he shows that he's just an older gentleman. And the rabbi says, my son, how much do they pay you? And the soldier looks at this man and sees that he means no harm. And he thinks it's such a bizarre question to ask. So he decides to say, oh, I'll give him an answer. They pay me one drachma a day. And the rabbi says to him, my son, I will pay you double if you stand outside my door and every time I enter and leave my house, you ask me those same two questions. Who are you and why are you here? Just such powerful questions. I think for many of us, we don't even know the answer to. 
Like, who are you? Why are you here at such a time as this? And these religious leaders, they are asking John the Baptist, tell us, who are you? Why are you here? And John the Baptist declares a verse. It's his life verse. A verse that was given to his father, Zechariah, the priest. A verse that he knew. A verse that he tried to embody. A verse that meant everything to him. And this is the verse. It says, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the path or make straight the way for the Lord. And I love this because this comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses three through five. And I'll read it for us just so that you get a sense of what he's quoting. That a voice of one that is calling In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together. Will behold it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Friends, we are in the Advent season. And Advent literally just means preparation plus anticipation plus arrival. It is a mixture of these three words kind of put together. And what Advent does is Advent looks back at the first coming, the first arrival of the Christ, of Jesus, how he came into the world. And it also looks ahead. And there's opportunity for us to prepare our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls to expect and anticipate his coming again. And we live in between these two advents, the one that has happened and the one that is to come. And the question is that every one of us in a Christmas season should be asking ourselves, are we ready for the king's arrival? Is our life ready for the king's arrival? Is our heart, our mind, our body, our soul ready for the king's arrival? I mean, if you know this, I grew up in Southern California, a town called Camarillo. And Camarillo, 63,000 people live there. It's kind of in between uh, LA and Santa Barbara. It's sort of on the coast, beautiful, beautiful little town. I love my hometown. And and what's amazing is in this little hometown, there really was two airports. Yes, you had LAX that was about an hour away. Yes, you had Santa Barbara, which is about an hour away. But in our little town, we had two airports. And the first one was that kind of private airport. People who had money with their own little private jet who was flying in, flying out. But about 10 minutes from there was a base. It's called Point Magoo. And Point Magoo, oftentimes, when President Reagan was leading our nation, President Reagan had a vacation home in Santa Barbara. And he would land at Point Magoo, see the troops, and then drive through our town, get on the highway, and just have a full-on motorcade and head to his vacation home. And I'll never forget... I was eight years old, 
I was playing soccer. We were the Blade Runners. It was awesome. I get done with a game. We're leaving and um, we're driving in my dad's car and my dad's listening to some Led Zeppelin. I still, I still remember this moment. We're driving, we're talking about the game and all of a sudden um, there's like a barricade. The police officer is just saying, you, you can't go through. And so my dad just doesn't want to wait. And so he kind of flips a U-turn, speeds down, makes a right, speeds down another road, makes a right, gets to the next road, and there's another barricade. And it dawns on him, oh, President Reagan's coming. So then my dad looks at me and goes, hey, get out of the car. And I'm like, why? He goes, go stand on the corner. I'm like, what? And he's like, just stand and wave. I'm like, okay. So I go, short shorts, maroon, and light blue jersey, shin guards, socks, cleats, and I stand on the corner as an eight-year-old waving. No idea what I'm doing, just waving. And then my dad's like, hey, and he's just like window down, Led Zeppelin playing. He's like, hey, the president's gonna drive by. Just wave at him. I'm like, okay, cool. And so I'm just standing there waving, and all of a sudden, all of these black cars start driving by. And then a window comes down and Reagan, President Reagan looks at me and waves. And I go like this, say hi to Nancy. And then he just drives. <laughs> now, President Reagan has a presidential library like was 15 minutes from my house. And so kind of like we, we just grew up like heading over there and, and just kind of learning. I, I love history. I love politics. I love our country. And, and I, I had this moment just thinking about that in preparation for this message because when you read Isaiah verse 40 and you understand the history of what John the Baptist was, in the original language, he was a herald. A herald. And this was someone who would go before a king to prepare the way. Now you have to think about this. Because back in those days, a herald's job was to kind of think through, okay, where's the king going to go months from now? Where's the king going to go? Because if, if you're familiar with the, the scriptures, you know that there was a season for battle. That like, I don't know if like all the kings just agreed upon it. It was like six months in season for battle, six, me, six months of just dealing with personnel issues within your territory. But during that time off, the king would often go and visit different tribes, different nations to kind of make sure that there was some sense of treaty and peace, maybe some negotiating. And just like when our president is going to go somewhere, there are people that go before to ensure two realities. Number one, to let the another nation know the president's coming, and two, to ensure that the president gets from point A to point B in the safest, most efficient way possible. And this is exactly what a herald would do because just like if a president ended up getting captured or God forbid assassinated or hurt in any way, shape or form, it would be an act of national security. Same thing for Israel. And their king, that if their king ended up King Saul or King David being attacked, it would be a sense of national security. And so these heralds would go before and say, hey, 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 I need you to know the king's coming. But more importantly, what they would do is not just proclaim it, they would ensure 
that the king could get from point A to point B in the quickest, safest, most efficient way possible. Why do I say this? Because if you go to Isaiah chapter 40 and you get familiar with the language, there's something here for us. I believe if we're gonna behold this Advent season, not miss it, that a herald needs to come and remind us to ensure that the pathways, that the roads, that everything is ready for the king. Now look what it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse four. It says, every valley shall be raised up. Every valley shall be raised up. Now, for many of you, you're familiar with Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And if you've ever been to the Middle East, if you've ever experienced a valley or if you've ever been to Arizona, you understand that a valley is hard, dry, clay ground. And oftentimes, a valley is known as a wadi. And when it starts to rain or monsoon, the ground is so hard that the ground, the soil can't actually even bring that water in. And so what happens, it's almost like concrete. That water just begins to flow. And when it's not raining, that's an easy pathway to walk through the valley. But when it starts to rain, you can be walking and all of a sudden, you get washed away. And every year, Oftentimes in storms, whether at Moab or Utah or Arizona or in the Middle East, you will hear about people who are walking in a wadi or walking in a valley and they don't know, they did not check the weather report and the rains just came. And it's a valley of the shadow of death, unfortunately. But the second thing is what rains often do in Arizona, I lived there for a few years, is something that's known as a wash. And I experienced this. Living in California, I had met my now wife in college. We weren't dating, but I was going to drive to Arizona in our university van because I was like repping our college. And I was going to stop at her house, take her out, and share my heart, friends, with her. I was going to ask her to be my girlfriend. And so I take her out to this little Mexican restaurant, and it starts to rain. And I'm driving back and it's just pouring rain. And so I, I find myself thinking, you know, this is probably a good moment to pull the car over and just tell her how I feel. I kind of have a sense of courage. I pull the car over. And I just say, hey, Sarah, it's been really fun getting to know you over the last year. And um, I just want you to know that I, I like you. And um, I was wondering if you wanted to be my girlfriend. You know what she said? Nothing. I got to leave my heart out there. 15 seconds felt like a minute. And then my stubbornness was like, I'm going to wait it out. I sat on the side of the road and a minute turned to five minutes. It turned to 10 minutes. It turned to 15 minutes and it's just pouring rain. And finally I was like, I'm just going to drive. I drive her to where she lives in unincorporated Scottsdale which basically means there's no actual paved roads. It's all dirt roads. Gonna drive like a mile and a half on a dirt road to get to her like property. I drive on this dirt road and this school van is barely making it through. I drop her off and she's got like a dirt driveway. And as I'm pulling out of the driveway, my van gets stuck 
And I'm like, are you kidding me? So now I'm in my mind overthinking this going, okay, if I can't drive and I sleep in the van in the driveway of the girl that I shared my heart with who told me she didn't say a word, I'm gonna feel like a creeper. If I walk to the door and knock on the door and be like, hey, um, as you know, I'm gonna be sleeping in the van. My, my van got stuck. They're gonna tell me, no, no, you can't sleep in the van. You gotta come inside. And then I'm gonna feel very awkward and all my college buddies are gonna die laughing at me. So I decided to go knock on the door just to tell her. And the, the, my now mother-in-law is like, you have to stay. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. She's like, no, you, you are staying in Nana's room. She takes me to Nana's room. I end up staying there. And probably about 15 minutes later, Sarah knocks on the door. And um, I open the door and, and she hands me this book. And this book is like made of like canvas. She's an artist. And inside this book are all of these prayers. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I started to read these prayers. And these prayers weren't like that we would get together. These prayers were like over my calling and over my gift. And, and I remember reading this going, what? And the first thing that came out of my mind was, so you do like me? And, uh, and uh, she's like, I think so. Um, but I, I'll never forget that moment. It's just in Arizona is the absolute road just washed away. And this was what a herald would have to kind of ensure and inspect. Because again, if a king is like in a chariot and all of a sudden a road washes away, it's, it's, it's an issue of national security. King can't get there. There could be a moment where some people could actually come and hurt the king. And so this, this, this guy would begin to look. I think about often in Christmas season, for many of us, when I think about valleys, valleys represent unexpected loss. And for some of us, we've experienced unexpected loss. And sometimes it's, it's hard. It's like we were just kind of going and then we lost our job or our relationship ended or someone that we were really believing would make it to Christmas ended up passing. And sometimes we don't know what to do with that unexpected loss. And for many of us, man, we just kind of stay busy and we just keep going and we find ways to escape. And in that we, we miss the good news of the king that actually wants to come and meet us. It's not just the valleys though. What you also see in the next passage is that every mountain and hill shall be made low. And you all know this, mountains and hills are actually formed by tectonic pressure. And it ends up being kind of these plates kind of grow and push and all of a sudden a mountain kind of emerges. And what really mountains represent is unexpected pressure. And for some of us, this is what we feel. I know what you're thinking, man, how in the ancient Near East would they be able to say every mountain and hill shall be made low? You know that verse that Jesus says, you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. You know what he's talking about? It's King Herod. Did you know that Herod moved a mountain? This is literally what he did. Herod was an incredible architect. You can Google this right now if you don't believe me. He's an incredible architect. But what he did is he built a vacation home and he wanted to actually go to this vacation home, but there was a mountain that was actually blocking his view of 
Jerusalem. And what he wanted everyone to know is even though he is on vacation, he's still watching. So he hired a whole bunch of people to knock down a mountain that was blocking his view. And that's what he did. And so when Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Because like Herod had no faith. And this is what they would do. These heralds would have to go and go, man, when you think about the story of the Good Samaritan, where, the, where this guy is just kind of walking, these, and all of a sudden what happens is these bandits, these robbers jump down and they beat him because he, these pathways were so narrow. It's almost like this aisle, so, so narrow. And so a herald had to inspect it and go, oh, you know what? We gotta, if we're actually gonna take the king over here, we gotta make sure that this mountain is taken care of. And then the construction crews would come out. And the same construction crews that are working on all of our highways in Illinois would come and just start working for like seven years <laughs> on the same road. And, and, and this is what they do. They would just work and work and work and work all hours to try and fix this road to ensure that the king got to where he needed to get to in the safest, most efficient way possible. And I think for some of us in this season, we carry unexpected pressure. Maybe it's financial. Like, I, I, I can't seem to find a way to have the money to, to give my kids the Christmas that I want to give them. I don't have the money to like make everybody happy or to, or to get to this trip or that trip. And some of us, we just play the game of like pretend and ignorance is bliss until January 27th when we get our credit card statement from December of 2023. And I think for some of us, we feel the pressure relationally. We know that we're going to go see relatives that we haven't seen for a while. There's been disagreements, maybe politically or relationally or in regards to faith. And it just, it just feels all of this pressure and we carry it in our bodies. And a herald's job is to remind you, oh, friends, you got to slow down so that you can experience the arrival of the king and this season. But it's not just valleys that are raised and mountains and hills brought down. You'll see that the rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. Every year, almost a thousand people die on cliffs in La Jolla, San Diego, the Grand Canyon, because what ends up happening is someone's wanting to take a selfie of themselves and they're so focused on the camera that they fall off. It's unbelievable. So much so that in La Jolla, they actually blocked you now being able to go and view and have an incredible picture because so many people, unfortunately, have lost their life. This is the truth about edges. When I would hike Camelback Mountain in Arizona or hike different places in Colorado, man, they're, they're so narrow. But you come to certain edges, you think, oh, it's fine. And all of a sudden you just kind of step and you just start to see rocks start to fall. When I came to realize, man, valleys are these unexpected loss, mountains, mountains and hills, this unexpected pressure, but edges, Edges represent this unexpected emotion. Have anybody in your family during the Christmas season that you find yourself just dancing around the chaos? We don't bring this up. We don't talk about this. 
where you are so aware of the homeostasis, like so aware of the temperature that that person gives off. You're like, ooh, that is 68 degrees. I can have a great conversation with them. Or, ooh, that is as cold as ice. And I'm just gonna stay in the kitchen or I'm just gonna watch a game or I'm just gonna disappear. And sometimes Christmas is a season of joy and anticipation and excitement and beauty and goodness. But for others, it's a season of heartbreak, of sadness. And oftentimes those edges come out, the stress and the reactions and the screaming. My wife asked me recently, hey, why don't we have a real Christmas tree? Because we've always had a fake tree. And my quick answer was, well, because the tree dies. And I don't want to have to clean up all the needles. It's just easy to have a fake tree. We can put it up whenever we want to, take it down whenever we want to. But she said, no, 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 like, why? Why don't we have, like, a real Christmas tree? And the reason is, six years in a row, from 8 to 14, every Christmas time, the biggest fight of my parents always was over the Christmas tree. But it was never about the Christmas tree. And it would be at the Home Depot or the Costco, and I'm just standing there as an eight-year-old watching mom and dad, and they're fighting about a Christmas tree, but it's not about the Christmas tree. And you know what I said? I don't want a Christmas tree. I'm going to have a fake tree because I don't want to fight. But I would watch even just as a kid and I would find myself just dancing around the chaos because the edges would come out. What about for you in this season? Are there like these edges that are coming out that are, and and if you're really, really honest, the stress, the emotion, all of a sudden the distance that you're creating with family and in that, what you're gonna miss is the arrival of the king. And what a herald does is it has to do whatever it can to make sure the valleys, the mountains, and the edges are taken care of so that the king can get to where he needs to get to. But look what these words in Isaiah 40, verse 5, it says this, and the glory, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is what the herald's longing and desire is, is that everyone will experience the glory being revealed. Now, glory is one of my favorite words in Hebrew. It's the word kavod. And kavod literally means weightiness. That's the glory. And some of you have had those moments where it's just, you can't even describe it. When you've ever seen something so stunning in creation, you're like, that's just unbelievable. Like, how how did that happen? The first time you held your child, you didn't even have words to say. It was like, oh my goodness. The first time that you ever set eyes on the person that you love when they began to walk down that aisle, you're like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like glory being revealed. And the valleys are this sense of unexpected loss and mountains are unexpected pressure. And edges are unexpected emotion, then you know what? Glory is this expected weightiness. 
It's almost as if in the Advent season, in view of the valleys and the mountains and the edges of our life, we find ourselves with a sense of anticipation, of expectation, of preparation for the arrival of the glory to be revealed. And this is what John the Baptist set out to do. And when all the religious leaders are like, who are you and why are you here? He's like, why am I here? It's because I am trying to ensure that all the valleys are raised up. All the mountains and anything that's blocking someone from experiencing the Christ who I am not, all of the edges where people can just go off the path, I want to ensure that people don't miss the glory. And when you turn back to John chapter one, look what John does so beautifully in verse 29. This is the next day. The next day after all the religious leaders were just asking him and pestering him, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, other translations say, not look, but behold, don't miss it. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. The glory might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify, this is God's chosen one. And I think about this. I think about for many of us how we just miss it during Christmas. I mean, can you just imagine in a moment where you find yourself going, behold, this is the Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins, my sins, our sins of the world. But so many of us, we're just in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season that we just miss what the Christ, what Jesus wants to do in us. So what I wanted to do is just kind of create some space here. Some space for us just to think because we're eight days away from December 25th. Eight days away from just having a moment to celebrate the first advent as we look ahead to his coming again. But I want to just put up that slide that says the valleys, the mountains, the edges, and the glory. And I want you to think, for you today, is there any unexpected loss? It's just getting in the way of the glory being revealed. Maybe for some of you, it's almost as if like the the waters of this culture and this world is just washed away. And you just feel like you're missing. Or maybe for some of you, it's, it's not that the road's just washed away. It's just, you just feel burdened down with this pressure. This pressure to make everybody happy. The pressure to provide. The pressure. And it's almost just like, just seeping out all of the goodness and the joy of the season. 
Or maybe for some of you, it's you're feeling the stress get to you. The heartache get to you. The past get to you. And if you're really, really honest, you're not actually really, really safe right now. Everyone's just dancing around your chaos. They don't want to upset you because they're afraid of what you might say. And I think for some of us in this moment, there's just a place where it's allowing us just to like slow it down. Maybe confess the unexpected loss. Maybe confess the unexpected pressure. Maybe confess the unexpected emotion and just open up our hearts to say, Lord, in this season, behold, can that just be my word? Behold, I don't want to miss your glory being revealed, your healing be revealed, your grace being revealed. I just want you to take a moment in your own way and just choose one of those words. It's maybe the biggest obstacle for you right here, right now, from beholding and receiving the glory of the Lord. For me, it's the mountains. I just feel a lot of pressure. It's just sometimes I need that space just to say, Lord, I'm just gonna give you that pressure. I can't, I can't carry the responsibility of everyone. My shoulders are only this big. I'm giving that back to you. May I behold in this season your glory. But also the truth of this message is that it's a double entendre which is just a fun word to say. And double entendre literally means that there's more meanings. In one sense, I stand up here as a herald to let you know the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And are you ready? But the double entendre of it is that every one of you who's a Christ follower, you're a herald. You're a John the Baptist. You have these next eight days or seven days to go and to the people who are experiencing unexpected loss or unexpected pressure or unexpected emotion, the valleys, the mountains, the edges, you get to go and invite them to experience the glory that wants to be revealed to the child that came to save us from our sin. Every one of us, young and old, you're a herald. And maybe just in this moment, you might ask God right now, give me a face, give me a name, give me a family member, give me a friend, give me someone that I can just come and make an invitation because who knows what God might do. I'll tell you this, that I'm sure that many of us started coming to Eastview either on Christmas or Easter. It's the easiest invitation to make. And secondly, most of us came because someone invited us. I just want you to just take just a moment. 
And I want you to just maybe ask God, who do you want me to invite? Who do you want me to extend that invitation to so that the glory might be revealed, the good news might be revealed to him? Just take a moment and ask that of the Lord. And the beauty, the beauty of that first Christmas was that you had some of the smartest and wealthiest and the wise men who humbled themselves to want to go sit and meet a baby king. You had wanderers who maybe were kind of the age of fifth graders as shepherds who were invited to celebrate and the birth of a king. And when the angel said that this was good news for all, it was for the wealthy and the powerful and the educated to the wandering without a home. And what's incredible is on that first Noel, that first gathering, that word Noel literally means the first news. The first was this moment where people got to experience the actual Messiah, the glory being revealed. And right now our team's just gonna sing this song, Noel. Many of you know it. You've heard Lauren Daigle or Chris Tomlin sing it, but this, this song ought to just remind us. And I pray as you sing this song, you could put yourself back there in that first Christmas, but also be thinking seven days from now, who do I want to experience this amazing light, this beautiful story of redemption that has entered this world? Let's sing together.